Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we will start a new book called The Last Olympian. And in this episode, we will read chapters 1 and 2. And now, uh, without further ado, on with the show. Chapter 1. I go cruising with explosives. The end of the world started when a Pegasus landed on my on the hood of my car. Up until then, I was having a great afternoon. Technically, I wasn't supposed to be driving because I wouldn't turn 16 for another week. My mom and my stepdad, Paul, took my friend and Rachel and me to this private stretch of beach on the south shore. And Paul let us borrow his Prius for a short spin. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, that was really irresponsible of him. Blah, blah, blah. But Paul knows me pretty well. He's seen me slice up demons and leap out of exploding school buildings. So he probably figured taking a car a few hundred yards wasn't exactly the most dangerous thing I'd ever done. Anyway, Rachel and I were driving along. It was a hot August day. Rachel's red hair was pulled back in a ponytail and she wore a white blouse over a swimsuit. I'd never seen her in anything but ratty t-shirts and paint splattered jeans before. She looked like a million golden drachma. Oh, pull up right there, she told me. We parked on a ridge overlooking the Atlantic. The sea is always one of my favorite places, but today it was especially nice. Glittery green and smooth as glass, like my dad was keeping a calm for us, just for us. My dad, by the way, is Poseidon. He can do stuff like that. So, Rachel smiled at me. About that invitation? Oh, right. I tried to sound excited. I mean, she'd asked me to her family's vacation house on St. Thomas for three days. I didn't get a lot of offers like that. My family's idea of a fancy vacation was a weekend in a rundown cabin on Long Island with some movie rentals and a couple of frozen pizzas. And here Rachel's folks were were willing to let me tag along to the Caribbean. Besides, I I need a vacation. This summer had been the hardest of my life. The idea of taking a break even for a few days was really tempting. Still, somehow something big was going on, was going, I supposed to go down any day now. I was on call for a mission. Even worse, next week was my birthday. There was this prophecy that said when I turned 16, bad things would happen. Percy, she said, I know the timing is bad, but it's always bad for you, right? She had a point. I really want to go, I promise. It's just the war. I nodded. I didn't like talking about it, but Rachel knew. Unlike most mortals, she could see through the mist. The magic veil that distorts human vision. She'd seen monsters. She'd met some of the other demigods who were fighting the titans and their allies. She'd even been there last summer when the chopped up Kronos Kronos rose out of his coffin in a terrible new form. And she'd earned my permanent respect by nailing him in the eye with a blue plastic hairbrush. She put her hand on my arm. Just think about it, okay? We We don't leave for a couple of days. My dad... Her voice faltered. Is he giving you a hard time? I asked. Rachel shook her head in disgust. He's trying to be nice to me, which is almost worse. He wants me to go to Clarion Ladies Academy in the fall. The school where your mom went? It's a stupid finishing school for society girls all the way in New Hampshire. Can you see me in finishing school? I admitted this idea sounded pretty dumb. Rachel was into urban art projects and feeding the homeless and going to, uh, going to protest rallies to save the endangered yellow-bellied sapsuckers and stuff like that. I never even seen her wear a dress. It was hard to imagine her learning to be a socialite. She sighed. He thinks if he does a bunch of nice stuff for me, I'll feel guilty and give in. Which is why he agreed to let me come with you guys on vacation. Yes, 
But Percy, you'd be doing me a huge favor. It'd be so much better if you were with us. Besides, there's something I want to talk... She stopped abruptly. Something you want to talk about? I asked. You mean so serious we'd have to go to St. Thomas to talk about it? She pursed her lips. Look, just forget it. Let's pretend we're a couple of normal people. We're out for a drive and we're watching the ocean, and it's nice to be together. I could tell something was bothering her, but she put on a brave smile. The sunlight made her hair look like fire. We'd spent a lot of time together this summer. I hadn't exactly planned it that way, but the more serious things got at camp, the more I found myself needing to call up Rachel and get away, just for some breathing room. I needed to remind myself that the mortal world was still out there, away from all the monsters using me as their personal punching bag. Okay, I said, just a normal afternoon and two normal people. She nodded. And so, hypothetically, if these two people liked each other, what would it take to get the stupid guy to kiss the girl, huh? Oh. I feel like one of Apollo's sacred cows. Slow, dumb, and bright red. Um. I can't pretend I hadn't thought about Rachel. She was so much easier to be around than, well, than some other girls I knew. I didn't have to work hard or watch what I said or rack my brain trying to figure out what she was thinking. Rachel didn't hide much. She let you know how she felt. I'm not sure what I would have done, but I was so distracted I didn't notice the huge black form swooping down from the sky until four hooves landed on the hood of the, of the Prius with a womp womp crunch. Hey boss, a voice said in my head. Nice car. Blackjack the Pegasus was an old friend of mine, so I tried not to get too annoyed by the craters he just put in the hood, but I didn't think my dad's stepdad would be real stoked. Blackjack, I sighed. What are you... Then I saw who was riding on his back, and I knew my day was about to get a lot more complicated. Sup, Percy? Charles Beckendorf, senior counselor for the Hephaestus cabin, would make most monsters cry for their mommies. He was this huge African-American guy with ripped muscles from working in the forges every summer. He was two years older than me and one of the camp's best armorsmiths. He made some seriously ingenious mechanical stuff. A month before, he rigged a Greek firebomb in the bathroom of a tour bus that was carrying a bunch of monsters across country. The explosion took out a whole legion of Cronus's evil meanies as soon as the first harpy went flush. Beckendorf was dressed for combat. He wore a bronze breastplate and wore helm with black camel pants and a sword strapped to his side. His explosive bags were slow, was slung over his shoulder. Time? I asked. He nodded grimly. A clump full formed in my throat. I'd known this was coming. We'd been planning it for weeks, but I half hoped it would never happen. Rachel looked up at Beckendorf. Hi. Oh, hey, I'm Beckendorf. You must be Rachel. Percy's told me, uh, I mean, he's mentioned you. Rachel raised an eyebrow. Really? Good. She glanced at Blackjack, who was clopping his hooves against the hood of the Prius. So, I guess you guys have to go save the world now? Pretty much. Beckendorf agreed. I looked at Rachel helplessly. Would you tell my mom? I'll tell her. I'm sure she's used to it, and I'll explain to Paul about the hood. I nodded my thanks. I figured this might be the last time Paul loaned me his car. Good luck. Rachel kissed me before I could even react. Now get going, Half-Blood. Go kill some monsters for me. My last view of her was sitting in the shotgun seat of the Prius, her arms crossed watching as Blackjack circled higher and higher, carrying Beckendorf and me into the sky. 
I wonder what Rachel wanted to talk to me about and whether I'd live, live long enough to find out. So, Beckendorf said, I'm guessing you don't want me to mention that little scene of to Annabeth. Oh, gods, I muttered. Don't even think about it. Beckendorf chuckled, and together we soared out over the Atlantic. It was almost dark by the time we spotted our target. The Princess Andromeda glowed on the horizon. A huge cruise ship lit, a, lit up yellow and white. From a distance, you'd think it was just a party ship, not the headquarters for the Titan Lord. Then as, as you got closer, you might notice the giant masthead, a dark-haired maiden in a green chiton, wrapped in chains with a look of horror on her face, as if she could smell the stench of all the monsters she was being forced to carry. Seeing the ship again twisted my gut into knots. I almost died twice on the Princess Andromeda. Now it was heading straight for New York. You know what to do? Beckendorf yelled over the wind. I nodded. We'd done dry runs at the dockyard, dockyards in New Jersey using abandoned ships as our targets. I knew how little time we would have, but I also knew this was our best chance to end, end Kronos' invasion before it even started. Blackjack, I said, set us down on the lowest stern deck. Gotcha, boss, he said. Man, I hate seeing that boat. Three years ago, Blackjack had been enslaved on the Princess Andromeda until he'd escaped with a little friend, help from my friends and me. I figured he'd have his, he'd rather have his mane braided like My Little Pony than be back here again. Don't wait for us, I told him. But boss, trust me, I said. We'll get out by ourselves. Blackjack folded his wings and plummeted toward the boat like a black comet. The wind whistled in my ears. I saw monsters patrolling the upper decks of the ship. Draconae, snake woman, hellhounds, giants, and the humanoid seal demons known as Telkines. But we zipped by so fast, none of them raised the alarm. We shot down the stern of the boat, and Blackjack spread his wings, lightly coming to a land on the lowest deck. I climbed off, feeling queasy. Good luck, boss, Blackjack said. Don't let them turn into a horse meat. With that, my old friend flew off into the night. I took my pen out of my pocket, uncapped it, and riptide sprang to full size. Three feet of deadly celestial bronze glowing in the dusk. Beckendorf pulled a piece of paper out, in his po out of his pocket. I thought it was a map or something. Then I realized it was a photograph. He stared at it in the dim light. The smiling face of Selina Beauregard, daughter of Aphrodite. They started going out last summer, after years of the rest of us saying, Duh, you guys like each other. Even with all the dangerous missions, Beckendorf had been happier this summer than I'd ever seen him. We'll make it back to camp, I promised. For a second, I saw worry in his eyes. Then he put on uh, his old, confident smile. You bet, he said. Let's go blow Kronos back into a million pieces. Beckendorf led the way. We followed a narrow corridor to the, to the service stairwell, just like we practiced. But we froze when we heard noises above us. I don't care what your noise sa nose says, snarled a half-human. half-dog voice, a telkine. The last time you smelled half-blood, it turned out to be a meatloaf sandwich. Meatloaf sandwiches are good, a second voice snarled. But this is half-blood scent. I swear they're on board. Bah, your brain isn't on board. They continued to argue, and Beckendorf pointed downstairs. We descended into the, uh, we descended as quietly as we could. We descended uh, two floors down, the voice of the telkine started to fade. Finally, we came to a metal hatch. 
Beckendorf mouthed the words, engine room. It was locked, but Beckendorf pulled some chain cutters out of his bag and split the bolt like it was made of butter. Inside a row of yellow turbines the size of grain silos churned and hummed. Pressure gauges and computer terminals lined the opposite wall. A Talkine was hunched over a console, but he was so involved with his work he didn't notice us. He was about five feet tall with slick black seal fur and stubby little feet. He had the head of a Doberman, but his clawed hands were almost human. He growled and muttered as he tapped on his keyboard. Maybe he was messaging his friends on UglyFace.com. I stepped forward and he tensed, probably smelling something was wrong. He leaped sideways toward a big red uh, alarm but, button, but I blocked his path. He hissed and lunged at me, but one slice of riptide and he exploded into dust. One down, Beckendorf said. About 5,000 to go. He tossed me a jar of thick green liquid, Greek fire, one of the most dangerous magical substances in the world. Then he threw me another essential tool of demigod heroes, duct tape. Slap down one of the consoles. I g- I'll get the turbines. We went to work. The room was hot and humid, and in no time we were drenched in sweat. The boat kept chugging along. Being the Poseidon, son of Poseidon and all, I have perfect bearing at sea. Don't ask me how, but I could tell we were at the 40.19 uh, degree north, comma, 71.90 degree west, making 18 knots, which meant the ship would arrive in New York Harbor by dawn. This would be our only chance to stop it. I had just attached the second jar of Greek fire to the control panels when I heard the pounding of feet on metal steps. So many creatures coming down the stairwell, I could hear them over the engines. Not a good sign. I locked eyes with Beckendorf. How much longer? Too long. He tapped his watch, which was a remote control detonator. I still have to wire the receiver and prime the charges. Ten more minutes at least. Judging from the sound of, po- of the footsteps, we had about ten seconds. I'll distract them. I said, meet you at the rendezvous point. Percy, wish me luck. He looked like he wanted to argue. The whole idea had been to, had been to get in and out without being spotted. But we were going to have to improvise. Good luck, he said. I charged out of the door. A half dozen Telkines were tromping down the stairs. I cut through them with riptide faster than they could yelp. I kept climbing past another Telkine who was so startled he dropped his little demon's lunchbox. I left him alive, partly because his lunchbox was cool. Partly so he could raise the alarm and hopefully get his friends to follow me rather than head toward the engine room. I burst toward it through a door onto deck six and kept running. I'm sure the carpeted hall had once been very plush, but over the last three years of monster occupation, the wallpaper, carpet, and stateroom doors had been clawed up and slimed so it looked like the inside of a dragon's throat. And yes, unfortunately, I speak from an experience. Back on my first visit to the Princess Andromeda, my old enemy Luke had kept some dazed turrets on board for show, shrouded in mist so they didn't realize they were on a monster-infested ship. Now, I didn't see any sign of Taurus. I hated to think what had happened to them, but I kind of doubted they'd been allowed to go home with their bingo winnings. I reached the promenade, a big ship and shopping mall that took up the whole middle of the ship, and I stopped cold. In the middle of the courtyard stood a fountain, and in the fountain squatted a giant crab. I'm not talking giant like $7.99 all-you-can-eat Alaskan king crab. I am talking giant like bigger than the fountain. The monster rose 10 feet out of the water. Its shell was mottled blue and green. Its pincers longer than my body. 
If you've ever seen a crab's mouth all foamy and gross with whiskers and snapping bits, you can imagine this one didn't look any better blown up to billboard size. Its beady black eyes glared at me and I could see intelligence in them and hate. The fact that I was the son of the sea god was not going to win me any points with Mr. Krabby. <sighs> it hissed, sea foam dripping from its mouth. The smell coming off of it was like a garbage can full of fish sticks that had been sitting in the sun all week. Alarms blared. Soon I was going to have a lot of company and I had to keep moving. Hey, Krabby! I inched around the edge of the courtyard. I'm just going to scoot around you, so... The crab moved with amazing speed. It scuttled out of the fountain and came straight at me, pincers snapping. I drove into, I dove into a gift shop, plowing in through a rack of t-shirts. A, gra- a crab pincer smashed the glass walls to pieces and raked the room. I dashed to a back outside, breathing heavily, but Mr. Krabby turned and followed. There, a voice said from, the, from a balcony above me. Intruder! If I wanted to create a distraction, I'd succeeded. But this was not where I wanted to fight. If I got pinned down in the center of the, of the ship, I was crab chow. The demonic crustacean lunged at me. I sliced with riptide, taking off the tip of its claw. It hissed and foamed, but didn't seem very hurt. I tried to remember anything from the old stories that might help with this thing. Annabeth had told me about a monster crab. Something about Hercules crushing it under his foot. That wasn't going to work here. This crab was slightly bigger than my Reeboks. Then a weird thought came to me. Last Christmas, my mom and I had brought Paul Blofus to our old cabin on, at Montauk, where we'd been going forever. Paul had taken me crabbing, where and where he, when he brought up a net full of the things, he'd shown me how crabs have a chink in their armor, right in the middle of their ugly bellies. The only problem was getting to the ugly belly. I glanced at the fountain, then at the marble floor, already slick from scuttling crab tracks. I held out my hand, concentrating on the water, and the fountain exploded. Water sprayed everywhere, three stories high, dowsing the balconies and the elevators and the windows of the shops. The crab didn't care. He loved water. He came at me sideways, snapping and hissing, and I ran straight at him, screaming, Ah! Just before we collided, I hit the ground baseball style and slid on the wet marble floor straight under him. It was like sliding under a seven-ton armored vehicle. All the crab had to do was sit and squash me. But before he realized what was going on, I jabbed Riptide into the chink of his armor, let go of the hilt, and pushed myself out of the backside. The monster shuddered and hissed. His eyes dissolved. His shell turned bright red as his insides evaporated. The empty shell clattered to the floor in a massive heap. I didn't have time to admire my handiwork. I ran for the nearest stairs while all around me, monsters and demigods shouted orders and strapped on their weapons. I was empty-handed. Riptide, being magic, would appear in my pocket sooner or later. But for now, it was stuck somewhere under the wreckage of the crab, and I had no time to retrieve it. In the elevator foyer on deck 8, a couple of draconets slithered across my path. From the waist up, there were women with green scaly skins, yellow eyes, and forked tongues. From the waist down, they had double snake trunks instead of legs. They held spears and weighted nets, and I knew from experience they could use them. What is this? One said. A prize for Kronos. I wasn't in the mood to play Break the Snake, but in front of me was a stand, in mo- was stand with a model of the ship. Like a you-are-here display. 
I ripped the model off the pedestal and hurled it at the first Dracone. The boat smacked her in the face, in her face, and she went down with the ship. I jumped over her, grabbed her friend's spear, and swung her around. She slammed into the elevator, and I kept running toward the front of the ship. Get him! She screamed. Hellhounds bayed. An arrow from somewhere whizzed past my face and impaled itself in the mahogany paneled wall of the stairwell. I didn't care, as long as I got the monsters away from the engine room and gave Beckendorf more time. As I was running up the stairwell, a kid charged down. He looked like he'd just woken up from a nap. His armor was half on. He drew his sword and yelled, Kronos! But he sounded more scared than angry. He couldn't have been more than 12, but the same age I was when I first went to Camp Half-Blood. That thought depressed me. This kid was getting brainwashed, trained to hate the gods and lash out because he'd been born half-Olympian. Kronos was using him, and yet the kid I thought thought I was his enemy. No way was I going to hurt him. I didn't need a weapon for this. I stepped inside his strike and grabbed his wrist, slamming it against the wall. His sword clattered out of his hand. Then I did something I hadn't planned on. It was probably stupid. It definitely jeopardized our mission, but I couldn't help it. If you want to live, I told him, get off the ship now. Tell the other demigods. Then I shoved him down, shoved him downstairs and sent him tumbling to the next floor. I kept climbing. Bad memories. A hallway ran past the cafeteria. Annabeth, my bro- half-brother Tyson, and I had sneaked through here three years ago on my first visit. I burst outside on the, onto the main deck. Off the port bow, the sky was darkening from purple to black. A swimming pool glowed between two glass towers with more balconies and restaurant decks. The whole upper ship seemed eerily deserted. All I had to do was cross to the other side. Then I could take the staircase down to the helipad, our emergency rendezvous point. With any luck, Beckendorf would meet, be, meet me there. We'd jump into the sea. My water powers would protect us, and we'd de- de- detonate the charges from the quarter mile away. I was halfway across the deck when the sound of a voice made me freeze. You're late, Percy. Luke stood on the balcony above me, a smile on his scarred face. He wore jeans, a white t-shirt, and flip-flops, like he was a normal college-age guy, but his eyes told the truth. They were solid gold. We've been expecting you for days. At first, he sounded normal like Luke, then his face twitched. A shudder passed through his body like he'd drunk something really nasty. His voice became heavier, ancient, and powerful. The voice of the Titan Lord Kronos. The words scraped down my spine like a knife blade. Come, bow before me. Yeah, that'll happen, I muttered. Lost Dragonian giants filed in on either side of the swimming pool, as if they'd been waiting for a cue. Each one was eight feet tall, with tattooed arms, leather armor, and spiked clubs. Demigod archers appeared on the roof above Luke. Two hellhounds leaped down from the opposite balcony and snarled at me. Within seconds, I was surrounded, a trap. There was no way they could have gone into position so fast unless they'd known I was coming. I looked up at Luke, and anger boiled inside me. I didn't know if Luke's consciousness was even still alive in that, inside that body. Maybe. The way his voice had changed, or maybe it was just Kronos adapting to his new form. I told myself it didn't matter. Luke had been twisted in evil long before Kronos possessed him. A voice in my head said, I have to fight him eventually. Why not now? According to that big prophecy, I was supposed to make a choice that saved or destroyed the world when I was 16. That was only seven days away. Why not now? If I really had the power, what difference would a week make? I could end this threat right here by taking down Kronos. Hey, I'd fought monsters and gods before. 
As of reading my thoughts, Luke smiled. No, he was Kronos. I had to remember that. Come forward, he said, if you dare. The crowd of monsters parted. I moved up the stairs, my heart pounding. I was sure somebody would stab me in the back, but they let me pass. I felt my pocket and found my pen waiting. I uncapped it, and Riptide grew into a sword. Cronus' weapon appeared in his hands. A six-foot-long scythe, half-celestial bronze, half-mortal steel. Just looking at the thing made my knees turn to jello. But before I could change my mind, I charged. Time slowed down. I mean, literally slowed down. Because Cronus had that power. I felt like I was moving through syrup. My arms were so heavy I could barely raise my sword. Kronos smiled, swirling his sight at normal speed and waiting for me to creep toward my death. I tried to fight his magic. I concentrated on the sea around me. The source of my power. I'd gotten better at channeling it over the years, but now nothing seemed to happen. I took another slow step forward. Giants jeered. Drakene hissed with laughter. Hey, Ocean, I pleaded. Any day now would be good. Suddenly, there was a wrenching pain in my gut. The entire boat lurched sideways, throwing monsters off their feet. 4,000 gallons of salt water surged out of the swimming pool, dousing me and Kronos and everyone on the deck. The water revitalized me, breaking the time spell, and I lunged forward. I struck at Kronos, but I was still too slow. I made the mistake of looking at his face, Luke's face, a guy who was once my friend. As much as I hated him, it was hard to kill him. Kronos had no such hesitation. He sliced downward with his scythe. I leaped back, and the evil blade missed by an inch, cutting a gash in the deck right beneath my feet, between my feet. I kicked Kronos in the chest. He stumbled backward, but he was heavier than Luke should have been. It was like kicking a refrigerator. Kronos swung his scythe again. I intercepted with Riptide, but his, the strike was so powerful my blade could only deflect it. The edge of the scythe shaved off my shirt sleeve and grazed my arm. It shouldn't have been a serious cut, but the entire side of my body exploded with pain. I remember what a sea demon had once said about Kronos' scythe. Careful, fool. One touch, and that blade will sever your soul from your body. Now I understand what he meant. I wasn't, losing just, I wasn't just losing blood. I could feel my strength, my will, my identity draining away. I stumbled backward, switching my sword to my left hand and lunged desperately. My blade should have run him through, but it deflected off his stomach like I was hitting solid marble. There was no way you would have, should have survived that. Kronos laughed. Ha! A poor performance, Percy Jackson. Luke tells me you were never his match at swordplay. My vision started to blur. I knew I didn't have much time. Luke had a big head, I said. But at least it was his head. A shame to kill you now, Kronos mused, before the final plan unfolds. I would love to see the terror in your eyes when you realize how I will destroy Olympus. You'll never get this boat to Manhattan. My arm was throbbing, black spots danced to my eyes. And why would that be? Cronus's golden eyes glittered. His face, Luke's face, seemed like a mask, unnatural and lit from behind from by some evil power. Perhaps you were counting on your friend with the explosives? He looked down at the pool and called, Nakamura! A teenage guy in full Greek armor pushed toward through the crowd. His left eye was covered with a black patch. I knew him, of course. Ethan Nakamura, the son of Nemesis. I saved his life in the labyrinth last summer, and in return, the little punk had helped Kronos come back to life. Success, my lord, Ethan called. We found him just as we were told. He clapped his hands and two giants lumber forward, dragging Charles Beckendorf between them. My heart almost stopped. Beckendorf had a swollen eye and cuts all over his face and arms. His ar uh, armor was gone and his shirt was nearly torn off. 
No! I yelled. Beckendorf met my eyes. He glanced at his hand like he was trying to tell me something. His watch. They hadn't taken it yet, and that was the detonator. Was it possible the explosives were armed? Surely the monsters would have dismantled them anyway, right away. We found him amidships, one of the giants said, trying to sneak to the engine room. Can we eat him now? Soon, Chrono scowled at Eaton. Are you sure he didn't set the explosives? He was going toward the engine room, my lord. How do you know that? Er, Ethan shifted uncomfortably. He was heading in that direction, and he told us. His bag is still full of explosives. Slowly, I began to understand. Beckendorf had fooled them. When he realized he was going to be captured, he turned to make it look like he was going the other way. He convinced them that he didn't made it to the engine room yet. The Greek fire must still might still be primed. But that didn't, didn't do us any good unless we could get off the ship and detonate it. Kronos hesitated. By the story, I prayed. The pain in my arm was so bad now I could barely stand. Open his bag, Kronos ordered. One of the giants ripped the explosive satchel from Beckendorf's shoulder. He peered inside, grunted, and turned it upside down. Panic monsters surged backwards. If the Greek bag had really had been full of Greek fire jars, we would have all blown up. But what fell out were a dozen cans of peaches. I could hear Kronos breathing, trying to control his anger. Did you perhaps, he said, capture this demigod near the galley? He then turned pale. Um, and did you perhaps send someone to actually check the engine room? Ethan scrambled back in terror, then turned on his heels and ran. I cursed silently. Now we only had minutes before the bombs were disarmed. I caught Beckendorf's eyes again and asked a silent question, hoping he would understand. How long? He cupped his, his fingers and thumb, making a circle. Zero. There was no delay on the timer at all. If he managed to press the de detonator button, the ship would blow at once. We'd never be able to get far, in, far enough away but before using it. The monsters would kill us first or disarm the explosives. Or both. Kronos turned toward me with a crooked smile. You'll have to excuse my incompetent help, Percy Jackson. But it doesn't matter. We have you now. We've known you were coming for weeks. He held out his hand and dangled a little silver bracelet with a sight charm. The Titan Lord's symbol. The wound in my arm was sapping my ability to think, but I muttered, communication device, spy at camp. Kronos chuckled. You can't count at friends. They'll always let you down. Luke learned that lesson the hard way. Now drop your sword and surrender to me or your friend dies. I swallowed. One of the giants had his hand around Beckendorf's neck. I was in no position, no shape to rescue him. And even if I tried, he would die before I got there. We both would. Beckendorf mouthed one word. Go. I shook my head. I couldn't just leave him. The second giant was still rummaging through the peach cans, which when Beckendorf's left arm was free. He raised it slowly toward the watch on his right arm, right wrist. I wanted to scream, No! Then down by the swimming pool, one of the draconae hissed. What is he doing? What is that on his wrist? Beckendorf closed his eyes tight and brought his hand up to his watch. I had no choice. I threw my sword like a javelin at Kronos. It bounced harmlessly off his chest, but it did startle him. I pushed through a car, a crowd of monsters, and jumped off the side of the ship toward, a water, toward the water a hundred feet below. I heard rumbling deep into the ship. Monsters yelled at me from above. A spear sailed past my ear. An arrow pierced my thigh, but I barely had time to register the pain. I plunged into the sea and willed the currents to take me far, far away. A hundred yards, two hundred yards. Even from that distance, the explosion shook the world. Heat seared the back of my head. The Princess Andromeda blew up from both sides. A massive fireball of green flame roiling into the dark sky, consuming everything. Beckendorf, I thought.
Then I blacked out and sank like an anchor toward the bottom of the sea. And that's the end of chapter one. Oh, I really do hope that Beckendorf did find a way to survive that. <clears throat> and possibly that affected Kronos a lot and it will take him some time to like recover from that. But we will see what happened to Percy and possibly Breckendorf when we come back from and from the break and read chapter two. I meet some fishy relatives. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read chapter two. I meet some fishy relatives. Demigod dreams suck. The thing is, they're just they're never just dreams. They gotta be visions, omens, and all the other mystical stuff that makes my brain hurt. I dream I was in a dark palace at the top of a mountain. Unfortunately, I recognized it. The palace of the Titans on, Mount, on top of Mount Othrius. Otherwise known as Mount Tamalpais in California. The main pavilion was open to the night, ringed with black Greek columns and statues of the Titans. Torchlight glowed against the black marble floor in the center of the room. An armored giant struggled under the weight of a swirling funnel cloud, Atlas, holding up the weight of the sky. Two other giant men stood nearby over a bronze brazier, studying images in the flames. Quite an explosion, one said. He wore black armor studded with silver dots like a starry night. His face was covered in a well of war helm with ram's horns curling on either side. It doesn't matter, the other said. This titan was dressed in gold robes, with golden eyes like Kronos. His entire body glowed. He reminded me of Paul, god of the sun, except the titan's light was harsher. His expression was crueler. The gods have answered the challenge. Soon they will be destroyed. The images in the fire were hard to make out. Storms, buildings crumbling, mortals screaming in terror. I'll go east to marshal our forces, the golden titan said. Krios, you shall remain on guard, Mount Othrius. The ram-horned dude grunted. I always get the stupid jobs, Lord of the South, Lord of Constellations. Now I get to babysit Atlas while you have all the fun. Under the whirlwind of clouds, Atlas bellowed in agony. Let me out, curse you. I'm your greatest warrior. Take my burden so I may fight. Quiet, the Golden Titan roared. You had your chance, Atlas. You failed. Kronos likes you just where you are. As for you, Krios, do your duty. And if you need more warriors, Krios asked, our treacherous nephew in the tuxedo will not do you much good in a fight. The Golden Titan laughed. Don't worry about him. Besides, the gods can barely handle our first little challenge. They have no idea how many others we have in store. Mark my words, in a few days' time, Olympus will be in ruins and we will meet here again to celebrate the dawn of the Sixth Age. The Golden Titan erupted into the flames and disappeared. Oh, sure, Krios grumbled. He gets to erupt into flames. I get to wear these stupid ram horns. The scene shifted. Now I was outside the pavilion, hiding in the shadows of a Greek column. A boy stood next to me, eavesdropping on the Titans. He had dark silky hair, pale skin, and dark clothes. My friend Nico D'Angelo, the son of Hades. He looked straight at me, his expression grim. You see, Percy? He whispered, you're running out of time. Do you really think you can beat them without my plan? His words washed over me as cold as the ocean floor, and my dreams went black. Percy? A deep voice said. My head felt like it had been microwaved in aluminum foil. I opened my eyes and saw a large shadowy figure looming over me. Beckendorf? I asked hopefully. No, brother. 
My eyes refocused. I was looking at a cyclops, a misshapen face, ratty brown hair, and one big brown eye full of concern. Tyson? My brother boat broke into a toothy grin. Yay, your brain works! I wasn't so sure. My body felt weightless and cold. My voice sounded wrong. I could hear Tyson, but it was more like I was hearing my vibrations inside my skull, not the regular sounds. I sat up, and a gossamer sheet floated away. I was on a bed made of silky woven kelp, in a room paneled with abalone shell. Glowing pearls the size of basketballs floated around the ceiling, providing light. I was underwater. Now, being the son of Poseidon and all, I was okay with this. I can breathe underwater just fine, and my clothes don't even get wet unless I want them to. But it was still a bit of a shock when a hammerhead shark drifted through the bedroom window, regarded me, and then swam calmly out of the opposite side of the room. Where? Daddy's palace, Tyson said. Under different circumstances, I would have been excited. I never visited Poseidon's realm, and I'd been dreaming about it for years, but my head hurt. My shirt was still speckled with burn marks from the explosion. My arm and leg wounds had healed. Just being in the ocean can do that for me, given enough time, but I still felt like I'd been trampled by a last Dragonian soccer team in cleats. How long? We found you last night, Tyson said, sinking through the water. The Princess Andromeda? When can boom? Tyson confirmed. Beckendorf was on board. Beckendorf was on board. Did you find? Tyson's face darkened. No sign of him. I am sorry, brother. I stared out of the window into deep blue water. Beckendorf was supposed to go to a college in the fall. He had a girlfriend, lots of friends, his whole life ahead of him. He couldn't be gone. Maybe he made it off the ship like I had. Maybe he jumped over the side. And what? He couldn't have survived a hundred foot fall into the water like I could. He couldn't have put enough distance between himself and the explosion. I knew in my gut he was dead. He'd sacrificed himself to take out the Princess Andromeda, and I'd abandoned him. I thought about my dream, the times discussing the explosion as if it didn't matter. Nico D'Angelo warning me that I would never beat Cronus without following his plan, a dangerous idea I'd been avoiding for more than a year. A distant blast took shook the room. Green light blazed outside, turning the whole sea as bright as noon. What was that? I asked. Tyson looked worried. Daddy will explain. Come, he is blowing up monsters. The palace might have been the most amazing place I'd ever seen if it hadn't been in the process of getting destroyed. We swam to the end of a long hallway and shot upwards on a geyser. As we rose over the rooftops, I caught my breath. Well, if you can catch your breath underwater. The palace was as big as a city on Mount Olympus, with wide courtyards, gardens, and column pavilions. The gardens were sculpted with coral colonies and glowing sea plants. Twenty or thirty buildings were made of abalone, white but gleaming, gleaming with white rainbow colors. Fish and octopi darted in and out of the windows. The paths were lined and with glowing pearls like Christmas lights. The main courtyard was filled with warriors, mermen with fish tails from the waist down and human bodies from the waist up, except their skin was blue, which I'd never known before. Some were tending the wood that wounded, some were sharpening spears and swords. One passed us swimming in a hurry. His eyes were bright green, like that stuff they put in glow sticks. And his teeth were shark teeth. They don't show you stuff like that in The Little, little Mermaid. Outside the main courtyard stood large fortifications, towers, walls, and anti-siege weapons. But most of these had been smashed to ruins. Others were blazing with this strange green light that I knew well. Greek fire, which can burn even underwater. 
Beyond this, the seafloor stretched into gloom. I could see battles raging, flashes of energy explosions, the glint of armies clashing. A regular human would have found it too dark to see. Heck, a regular human would have been crushed by the pressure and frozen by the cold. Even my heat-sensitive eyes couldn't make out exactly what was going on. At the edge of the palace complex, a temple with a red coral roof exploded, sending fire and debris streaming in slow motion across the farthest gardens. Out of the darkness above, an enormous form appeared, a squid larger than any skyscraper. It was surrounded by a glittering cloud of dust. At least I thought it was dust until I realized it was a, it was a swarm of mermen trying to attack the monster. The squid descended on the palace, swatted its tentacles, smashing whole columns of warriors. Then a brilliant arc of blue light shot from the rooftop of one of the tallest buildings. The light hit the giant squid and the monster dissolved like food coloring in water. Daddy, Tyson said, pointing to where the light had come from. He did that? I suddenly felt more hopeful. My dad had unbelievable powers. He was a god of the sea. He could deal with this attack, right? Maybe he'd let me help. Have you been in the fight? I asked. Tyson in awe. Like bashing heads with your awesome like bashing heads with your awesome cyclops strength and stuff? Tyson pouted, and immediately I knew I'd asked a bad question. I have been fixing weapons, he mumbled. Come, let's go find daddy. I know this might sound weird to people with like regular parents, but I've only seen my dad five or four or five times in my life. And never for then a few minutes. The Greek gods don't exactly show up for their kids' basketball games. Still, I thought I would recognize Poseidon on sight. I was wrong. The roof of the temple was a big open deck that had been set up as a command center. A mosaic on the wall showed the exact map of the palace grounds and the surrounding ocean, but the mosaic moved. Colored stone tiles representing different uh, armies and sea monsters shifted around as the forces changed position. Buildings that collapsed in real life also collapsed in the picture. Standing around the mosaic, grimly studying the battle, was a strange assortment of warriors, but none of them looked like my dad. I was searching for a big guy with a good tan and a black beard wearing Bermuda shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. There was nobody like that. One guy was a merman with two fishtails instead of one. His skin was green, his armor was studded with pearls, his black hair was tightened in a ponytail, and he looked young. It was hard to tell with non-humans. They could be a thousand years old or three. Standing next to him was an old man with a flowing white beard and gray hair. His battle armor seemed to weigh him down. He had green eyes and smile wrinkles around his eyes, but he wasn't smiling now. He was studying the map and leaning on a large metal staff. To his right stood a beautiful woman in green armor with long black hair and strange little horns like crab claws. It was a dolphin, just a regular dolphin, but he was staring at the map intently. Delphin, the old man said, send Palamon and his legion of sharks to the west. To the western front, we have to neutralize those Leviathans. Leviathans. The dolphin spoke in a chattering voice, but I could understand in my mind. Yes, Lord! It sped, it sped away. I looked in dismay at Tyson, then back at the old man. It didn't seem possible, but... Dad? I asked. The old man looked up. I recognized the twinkle in his eyes, but his face. He looked like he'd aged 40 years. Hello, Percy. What, what happened to you? Tyson nudged me. He was shaking his head so hard I was afraid it would fall off, but Tyson didn't look offended. It's all right, Tyson, he said. Percy, excuse my appearance. The war has been hard on me. But you're immortal, I said. You can look any way you want. I reflect the state of my realm, he said, and right now that state is quite grim. 
Percy, I should introduce you. In introduce you. I'm afraid you just missed my Lieutenant Delphin, God of the Dolphins. This is er my this is my er wife, Amphitrite, my dear. The lady in green armor stared at me coldly, and then crossed her arms and said, "Excuse me, my lord, I'm needed in battle." She swam away. I felt pretty awkward, but I guess I couldn't blame her. I never thought about it much, but my dad had an immortal wife. All his romances with mortals, including with my mom, well, Amphitrite probably didn't like that much. Poseidon cleared his throat. Yes, well, uh, and this is my son Triton, or my other son. Your son and heir, the green dude corrected. His double fishtail swished back and forth. He smiled at me, but there was no friendliness in his eyes. Hello, Perseus Jackson. Come to help at last? He acted like I was late or lazy. If you can blush underwater, I probably did. Tell me what to do, I said. Try and smile like that was a cute suggestion, like I was a slightly amusing dog that barked for him or something. He turned to Poseidon. I'll see to the front line, father. Don't worry, I will not fail. He nodded politely to Tyson. How come I didn't get that much respect? Then he shot off into the water. Poseidon sighed. He raised his staff and changed into his regular weapon. A huge three-pointed trident. The tips glowed with blue light and the water around it boiled with energy. I'm sorry about that, he told me. A huge sea serpent appeared from above us and spiraled down the roof. It was bright orange with a fanged mouth big enough to swallow a gymnasium. Hardly looking up, Poseidon pointed his trident at the beast and sapped it with blue energy. Kaboom! The monster burst into a million goldfish, which all swam off in terror. My family is anxious, Poseidon continued as if nothing had happened. The battle against Oceanus is going poorly. He pointed to the edge of the mosaic. With the butt of his trident, he tapped the image of, the, of a merman larger than the rest, with the horns of, the bu of a bull. He appeared to be riding a chariot pulled by crawfish, and instead of a sword, he wielded a live serpent. Oceanus, I said, trying to remember. The Titan of the Sea? Poseidon nodded. He was neutral in the first war of the gods and titans, but Kronos had convinced him to fight. This is... Well, it's not a good sign. Oceanus would not commit unless he was sure he would pick the winning side. He looks stupid, I said, trying to sound upbeat. I mean, who fights with a snake? Daddy will tie it in knots, Tyson said firmly. Poseidon smiled, but he looked weary. I appreciate your fate, but we have a war almost a we have been at war almost a year now. My powers are taxed, and still he finds new forces to throw at me. Sea monsters so ancient I'd forgotten about them. I heard an explosion in the distance, but a half a mile away, a mountain of coral disintegrated under the weight of two giant creatures. I could dimly make out their shapes. One was a lobster, the other was a giant humanoid like a cyclops, but he was surrounded by a flurry of limbs. At first, I thought he was wearing a bunch of octopi, giant octopi, then I realized there was his own arms. A hundred flailing fighting arms. Briars, I said. I was happy to see him, but he looked like he was fighting for his life. He was the last of his kind, a hundred-handed one, cousin of the Cyclops. We'd saved him from we saved him from we saved him from Cronus's prison last summer, and I knew he'd come to help Poseidon, but I hadn't heard of him since. He fights well, Poseidon said. I wish we had a whole army like him, but like, but he's the only one. I watched as Briars bellowed in rage and picked up the lobster, which thrashed and snapped its pincers. He threw it off the coral mountain, and the lobster disappeared into the darkness. Briar swam after it, his hundred arms spinning it like the blades of a motorboat. Percy, we may not have much time, my dad said. Tell me of your mission. Did you see Kronos? 
I told him everything. Though my voice choked up when I explained about Beckendorf, I looked down at the courtyards below and saw hundreds of wounded moormen lying on the, lying on the makeshift cots. I saw rows of coral mounds that must have been hastily made graves. I realized Beckendorf wasn't the first death. He was only one of he was was he was only one of hundreds, maybe thousands. I never felt so angry and helpless. Poseidon stroked his beard. Percy, Beckendorf chose a heroic death. You bear no blame for that. Cronus's army will be in disarray. Many were destroyed. But we didn't kill him, did we? As I said it, I knew it was a naive hope. We might blow up his ship and disintegrate his monsters, but a Titan Lord wouldn't be so easy to kill. No, Poseidon admitted. But you've brought our side some time. There were demigods on that ship, I said, thinking of the kid I'd seen in the stairwell. Somehow, I'd allowed myself to con concentrate on the monsters and Kronos. I convinced myself that destroying their ship was all right because they were evil. They were sailing to attack my city, and besides, they couldn't really be permanently killed. Monsters just vaporized and reformed eventually, but demigods? Poseidon put his hand on my shoulder. Percy, there are only a few demigod warriors aboard that ship, and they all chose to battle for Kronos. Perhaps some heeded to your warning and escaped. If they did not, they chose their path. They were brainwashed, I said. Now they're dead and Kronos is still alive. That's supposed to be that's supposed to make me feel better? I glared at the mosaic. Little tile explosions destroying tile monsters. It seemed so easy when it was just a picture. Tyson put his arm around me. If anybody else had tried that, I would have pushed him away. But Tyson was too big and stubborn. He hugged me whether I wanted it or not. Not your fault, brother. Kronos does not explode good. Next time we will use a big stick. Percy? My father said, Beckendorf's sacrifice wasn't in vain. You've scattered the invasion's force. New York will be safe for a time, which frees the other Olympians to deal with the other bigger threat. The bigger threat? I thought about what the Golden Titan had said in my dream. The gods have answered the challenge. Soon they will be destroyed. A shadow passed over my father's face. You've had enough sorrow for one day. Ask Chiron when you return to camp. Return to camp? But you're in trouble here. I want to help. You can't, Percy. Your job is elsewhere. I couldn't believe I was hearing this. I looked at Tyson for backup. My brother chewed his lip. Daddy, Percy can fight with the sword. He's good. I know that, Poseidon said gently. Dad, I can help, I said. I don't know, I know I can. You're not going to hold out, there, hold out here much longer. A fireball launched into the sky from behind the enemy lines. I thought Poseidon would deflect it or something, but it landed on the outer corner of the yard and exploded, sending mermen tumbling through the water. Poseidon winced as if he'd just been stabbed. Return to camp, he insisted, he insisted, and tell Chiron for it is time. For what? You must hear the prophecy. The entire prophecy. I didn't need to ask him which prophecy. I'd been hearing about the great prophecy for years, but no one, nobody would ever tell me the whole thing. All I knew was that I was supposed to make a decision that would decide the fate of this world. But no pressure. What if this is the decision? I said, staying here to fight or leaving. What if I leave you and... Leave and you... I couldn't say die. Gods weren't supposed to die. But I'd seen it happen. Even if they didn't die, they could be reduced to nearly nothing. Exiled, imprisoned in the depths of Tartarus like Kronos had been. Percy, you must go. Per Poseidon insisted. I don't know what your final decision will be, but your fight lies in the world above. If nothing else, you must warn your friends at camp. Kronos knew you knew your plans. You have a spy. We will hold here. We have no choice. Tyson gripped my hand desperately. I will miss you, brother. Watching us, our father seemed to age another ten years. Tyson, you have work to do as well, my son. They need you in the armory. 
Tyson pouted some more. I will go, he sniffled. I will go, he sniffled. He hugged me so hard he almost cracked my ribs. Percy, be careful. Do not let monsters kill you dead. I tried to nod confidently, but it was too much for the big guy. He sobbed and swam away toward the armory, where his cousins were fixing spears and swords. You should let him fight, I told my father. He hates being stuck in the armory, can't you tell? Poseidon shook his head. It is bad enough I must send you into danger. Tyson is too young, I must protect him. You should trust him. I said not to try to protect him. Poseidon's eyes flared. I thought I'd gone too far, but then he looked down at the mosaic and his shoulders sagged. On the tiles, the mermaid-made guy in the crawfish chariot was coming closer to the pal pal palace. Oceanus approaches, my father said. I must meet him in battle. I'd never been scared for, scared for a god before, but I didn't see how my dad could face this titan and win. I will hold, Poseidon promised. I will not give up my domain. Just tell me, Percy, do you still have the birthday gift I gave you last summer? I nodded and pulled out my camp necklace. It had a bead for every summer I'd been at Camp Half-Blood, but since last year, I'd also kept a sand dollar on the cord. My father had given it to me for my 15th birthday. He told me I would know when to spend it, but so far, I hadn't figured out what he meant. All I knew was that it, would, it didn't fit the vending machines in the school cafeteria. The time is coming, he promised. With luck, I will see you for your birthday next week, and we'll have a proper celebration. He smiled, and for, the, for a moment, I saw the old light in his eyes. Then the entire sea grew dark in front of us, like an inky storm was rolling in. Thunder crackled, which should have been impossible underwater. A huge icy presence was approaching. I sensed a, a wave of fear roll through the armies below us. I must assume my true godly form, Poseidon said. Go, and good luck, my son. I wanted to encourage him, to hug him or something, but knew better than to stick around. When a god assumes his true form, the power is so great that any mortal looking on him will disintegrate. Goodbye, father, I managed. Then I turned away. I willed the ocean currents to aid me. Water swirled around me and I shot toward the surface at speeds that would cause any normal human to pop like a balloon. When I looked back, all I could see were flashes of green and blue as my father fought the Titan and the sea itself was torn apart by the two armies. And that is the end of chapter two. Well, let's see what per what Percy ends up telling and what is the fine what is the uh, great prophecy that Percy will finally hear after being after years of like you know people telling him pe pieces and bits of it. So I'm curious to see wh what Percy will hear when he goes to Chiron and asks about the great prophecy. But until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.